four, three, two. My guest for today is a classically trained musician who later progressed to more. My guest for today is a classically trained musician who later progressed to more contemporary styles of music. He graduated from Boston's Berklee College of Music with a bachelor's degree. He currently is the host and producer of the most popular podcast, Music Outlook LA, which can be heard just about anywhere that you get your podcast. Arranger, composer, musician, and performer, Will Kimsey. Welcome to the show, Will. Mark Capage, Mark Capage. I'm all right. How are you today? And thank you for having me on the Mark Capage show. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Will. It has. It, it, I've. You're someone that I've wanted to get on for for some time. Uh, I know that you are uh, a tech kind of guy, and I'm a technological nincompoop, which oh, uh, I, I believe. Uh, your show kind of revolves around. Can you tell us uh, uh, something about your your podcast, Music Outlook LA, and what that's all about, and what inspired you to to create that show? Well, for Music Outlook LA, um, I was actually listening to some other podcasts, and the inspiration came from listening to a gentleman whose name right now escapes me, but he does a similar podcast where he helps. Uh, other audio play audio musicians no, content creators audio music yeah right <laughs> content creators and the like to get better audio from their uh, mixes and podcasts and such um and so i just decided that at that point you know well heck why don't i do something similar that gives me an idea so Scouring the web, I realized that there was not any kind of podcast like Music Outlook LA, which is basically gigs, gear, and info where I interview independent artists, uh, content creators, and such. And it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a musician, vocalist, uh, audio engineer, photographer, you could be a best boy or a gaffer for an indie film project for all I care, as long as you are somebody in the industry. And you can even be behind the scenes further back up in the main offices being a manager or something, you know, that kind of thing. I've uh, had an entertainment lawyer on my show and we shot the breeze about legally protecting your work. So with gigs, gear and info being the uh, pretty much running tagline for the show, I speak. Wait, to say, the, say the running tagline again gigs gear info okay and just like it says we talk about the gigs of the independent artist again it doesn't matter what that gig is the gear the artist uses and why they like to use it and any information that that particular artist may feel is important to pass on to others to be able to help them further their careers whether it be just doing it independently um on their own social media networks, for example, or again, independently. And that's the key thing is for the independent artist. But if you're also high up on the, as I like to call it, the great entertainment food chain, and you're doing it for a major network, movie house or whatever, 
then that's just as fine too. But any information that can be passed along to us lowly, humble fish in the sea <laughs> so that we can, um, I don't know, one day become sharks. <laughs> I, I hear you. So you could actually help people with that too. Like if someone uh, uh, needs a producer or engineer or... or uh, uh, well. Let me let me go back a little. So you you majored in music from 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 the Berkeley College of Music. How mm-hmm. how what led you down the to to the more technical side? What made you also want to work as an audio engineer and and learn about that? And what exactly is the role of a sound engineer? Well, what led me to the other side? Um... I, I I go off on tangent sometime, and right now I just thought of one. Um, and the tangent being, um, when I said other side, was to go to the dark side. And I thought about the Darth Vader meme. <laughs> Come to the dark side. <laughs> we have cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I went to the dark side because there's cookies over there. <laughs> and the cookies that they have were all the flashing lights and bells and things. Every time I got up on stage, because like you said, I learned classical. I've been playing piano since I was five years old. Um, and that's an interesting story in and of itself. If there's time, we can I can share it real quick. Um, but, you know, after going to Berkeley, which is primarily... Uh, jazz and popular music school as well as classical um i would do shows uh with bands or independently weddings you name it and if there was somebody else doing sound uh or whatever and aside from me having my amp i found that the mixing board and the various components that the audio engineer used to be fascinating well, kudos. Go ahead. You know, it just piqued my interest. And, you know, I'm always teasing and I say, give me something with flashing lights, bells and whistles and you got me hooked. Um, so it was the flashing lights and the bells and the whistles and all the sliders uh, that the mixing board has. And I just wondered how it worked. So I guess. You know, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, the first time that I started adding mixer to my gear was in my 20s, right after I got out of college, after I bought my first two keyboard keyboards, um, ended up incorporating a mixer, a little small boss four channel mixer. Because I had two keyboards. They were both Korgs. I'm a Korg head. Uh, the old school DW6000 and a DW8000. I had a microphone. And I still use it to this day. A Roland TR505 drum machine. Which is the baby brother to the old school TR808. Hmm. So I had those four things. And I did not have a way other than going up to the actual instrument itself to regulate gain Hmm. so having that little boss mixer which i actually have in the closet which if i dust it off and probably take it into the shop and get it conditioned would still work you know pretty well and that was my rig double stack the keyboards and that was that and again jumping back to the 
uh, audio engineers. I just decided later on in years, as time went on, probably by the time I was in my mid-30s, to just really give thought to being on the other side of the microphone. So I guess uh, once the thought finally sunk in, it might have been maybe 10 years later or so. So by the time I was in my mid-40s, I started amassing the gear and learning how to work it um, self-taught. You know, I'm the kind of guy who you give an instruction manual to give me about a week or so, and I figured out how the darn thing works. You know, I didn't go to Berkeley as a MP&E major, music production engineering major. I was what they call a professional music major. So I was able to make up my own major as I went along. So I went for composition, arranging, and performance. Um, blended them all together and got out. It was a four-year degree, but I did it in three. And um, that's pretty much it. And so, you know, by the time I was in my mid-40s, or actually maybe even a little sooner, I was beginning to amass a mixer and audio and other things. And it just steadily grew and grew until it got to where it is now, where it's now Kim Z Entertainment, uh, K-I-M-Z Entertainment, LLC. And um, I'll give you all that contact information if anybody wants to hook up with me or whatever. <laughs> and um, now I've got a decent amount of gear to be able to go out and do live audio to be able to record online, uh, make video for social media. I've also done it for a church that I used to work for, a small church in Orange County, small Baptist church. Uh, I was the church musician, the director of music. I also handled the audio and the video for the church and made sure that they had an internet presence on social media for their services. So I was Captain Techie and pretty much did it all myself. I did have a good friend of mine and he still helps me out and he helped me do a lot of the uh, legwork and some of the tech and videoing. Uh, videoing that is not even a word ladies and gentlemen i am so sorry <laughs> video recording for not just the church but also for my band lay music which will be back soon well Watch. you 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 are a much more talented man than me because i found it you know i had dabbled in this 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 engineering aspect too but that's like a whole art and school in itself and for me just trying to be a decent musician was time consuming enough so my hat's off to you um can you tell people what exactly does an audio engineer do what kind of problems do audio engineers solve well i guess the best way to tell it is by just visualizing it i'm a visual person so if you're a guitarist singer or any member of a band and you are say performing at a nightclub large small whatever and you go in you set your stuff up and you see the guy generally in the back or gal woman <laughs> 
and they're at a very large board with a bunch of sliders and other gadgets, maybe even a computer and some other, like I said, gadgets, which, you know, if I, I can describe what they are, um, in a booth, there's generally your audio engineer. Mm-hmm. And their job is to make sure you sound good when you're up on the stage performing. Um, that's for live audio. Uh, same thing in a recording studio for recorded audio. It's the guy in the uh, in the booth, the person in the booth. I am going to get that politically correct right. Forgive me, I'm old school. <laughs> <laughs> and shoot me later if you'd like. <laughs> but, you know, it's the person in the booth who will talk to you over the headphones and have you do that take again because they didn't get something right or you were too far away from the mic if you're singing or you played a wrong note or what have you. They make sure all your volume levels are correct. Uh, Another word for the gain, that your sound doesn't sound like it's coming out of a tin can and it's in stereo if that's what you're going for, which most people do. Um... So they handle all the instruments, all the vocals that come into the booth, into the mixing board, into the recording uh, devices, or again, into the mixing board if it's a live session, to uh, go out to the audience to hear. So they just basically make sure you sound good and they will make various adjustments from EQ equalization to uh, compressing the sound, squeezing it down if necessary so that it's more focused. Uh, I guess that's the best way I could put it. Um, Adding bass if it's too thin of a sound, killing treble if it's too tinny sounding. So all of those things uh, happen if the audio engineer is working properly and as he goes as the show progresses as the recording progresses they'll make some adjustments and then they'll sit back listen see how they like it and if it's all good they'll just listen and wait until the next one if it's a live next song if it's a live uh, show or uh, make constant adjustments if it's uh, live or recorded and that's pretty much what they do they make you sound good Hmm. I've had instances where I've recorded myself and I sound uh, uh, a a bit tinny, in my opinion. What are some of the troubleshooting techniques that I might want to explore to to get rid of that? I would start with the microphone. All recordings, whether you're doing vocals for singing or speaking, whether it be an audio book, a live engagement, whatever, start with your microphone. Um, Different microphones have different sounds, so you have to go out and find a mic that you happen to like. For me personally, I like Rode mics, R-O-D-E. I have an NT1A, and it's primarily a singer's mic, but as I was setting it up, one day for a vocalist to use i did the complimentary testing one two one two three in the headphones and i heard this very rich sound and came to the realization that um i think this makes a good 
speaking mic. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I decided that that was the mic for me. But you as the uh, artist using the mic have to decide for yourself if you want to go really high end, you've got your Neumanns. Some people say Newman, Neumann, potato, potato. Um, sure makes some pretty good mics. Uh, Audio-Technica. There are various brands out there. Uh, go to your local music store for us in California. It's Guitar Center or Sam Ash. And test out the microphones. Salesmen will be more than happy to help you and give them an idea what kind of system that you're going to be using and you can go into whatever kind of room they have set up and hear what it sounds like if it's a recorded scenario um again maybe they've got something set up to where you can hear it in uh one of their demo recording studios but it starts with your microphone once you have your microphone if you're doing everything yourself and you're using a mixer, then the rest is just making the adjustments necessary. Make sure your bass isn't too heavy. Um, most mixers have a three band equalizer on them. Lows, mids, and highs. Make those three adjustments according to your tone of your voice. Now I've got a pretty deep voice. Uh, for speaking but on occasion because I drink a lot of coffee I guess <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry on occasion I do smoke <laughs> um, it's kind of lost it a little over the years so I have the tone you hear and so I bring my bass up a little higher than midway I take and this is my own personal hearing, I take my mid-range down and I bring my high end, my treble, up and up some more. So, you know, you make that adjustment in the mixer. If you're satisfied with everything you hear, then that's well over half the battle right there. Make sure your cables are fine and you don't have any shorts in them because everything starts with the voice. And once it comes out of your mouth, it has to go into a good mic, travel down the cable and into your mixer. And then it has to go into your computer if you're a digital uh, home recording artist via USB. And that's the simple explanation. Of, you know, I could go on and on and on about that, but mm -hmm. that's where it starts. So you mentioned it's largely subjective too, like you said, uh, according to your own ears. Um, mm. And do you, would, would a podcaster that's just doing speaking basically perhaps want a different mic than a singer would want? Or is that kind of subjective too, that maybe a singer uh, will sound better on uh, a, a a mic that's primarily meant for for podcasters or speaking uh yeah it is subjective again it's up to all the participants in the podcast for example it's up to the host it's up to the guest and if you just take those two people together and you can figure it out some podcasters male and it's been suggested actually male 
a particular microphone to the guest and say, hey, could you use this microphone? Sounds really good. I like the sound. But at the end of the day, it's kind of up to the podcast host what the sound is going to be. So some microphones are better based for singers versus speaking. They do have them. And when they're advertised, they're advertised that way. Um, the, um, let's see, where am I going with this? The microphone, like I said, my microphone, I liked it. It's primarily a vocalist mic, but I like it for speaking as well. It's got a nice, rich sound to it. So again, it all depends on what your ear is telling you. And if the guest really has a preference, you as the host should accommodate that guest preference and say, okay, if you like it, no problem. Um, as long as it doesn't cause feedback or any kind of other audio issues, it really isn't a problem. So in answer to your question directly, yeah, there are microphones that are situated for a vocalist versus a public speaker. Hmm. And, and so a particular mic a particular microphone can also be responsible for feedback. Um, not in my experience. In my experience, it's because it's some kind of setting on the mixing board. Mm-hmm. Or the room may, may have contributed to that feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's on the mixing board. Most feedback happens. Okay. And I could I could use the the church that <clears throat> excuse me, the church that I played for and did all that stuff for as an example. It was a large meeting room and if you turned up the volume, the gain up too high, you're going to get feedback and how that ends up happening is that a microphone picks up whatever it hears it depends on if it's what they call unidirectional um which is one direction straight into the mic or omnidirectional which picks up the whole room okay and there's a little drawing on some of these microphones and it'll tell you the pickup pattern all right but nonetheless whether it's mono or uni If you turn the volume gain up too high on the mixer, that microphone is not only going to pick you up, it's going to pick up what comes out of the speakers, which is also you. So therefore, it's going back and forth in a continual loop until finally you get the annoying feedbacky squeak. Hmm. And it's just going to keep going until you back off the mic or you bring down the gain on the mixing board. Mm Mm-hmm. So I made sure, one, that the loudspeakers that carried the sound to the congregation, the audience, were not pointed at the microphones, that they were pointed out to the chairs, to the pews, to the Mm -hmm. audience. Um, And if you have floor monitors for the participants... They don't need to rely on the loudspeakers, which they're not supposed to in the first place, to hear themselves. Mm -hmm. 
And if you don't have the floor monitors up too high, that also will prevent the feedback because again, your microphones are going to pick up whatever goes into it. So you don't want to, for lack of a better phrase or word, overtax the microphone or have it pick up too many audio signals going into it. If the mic can concentrate on its main source, which is the singer or the speaker, and not the loudspeaker or the floor monitor and the participant using the mic, that will lessen your feedback. And if that audio engineer knows what he or she is doing, and they usually do, they won't have the gain up too high. Not just on the volume slider, but on many of these mixers, there is a knob specifically for gain. Um, so those two things, raise your volume or decrease it. So you just find what I like to call the sweet spot. When mm -hmm. you find that sweet spot, you keep it there, you set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, how much can uh, sound engineers, what do they generally make? Ooh. Oh, boy. It depends from what I've seen, whether they're indie or whether they are working for a large, say, label, like Capitol Records, if you're doing that, or Sony Music or somebody, they make six figures. Um, probably start in the high fives and go to the sixes. Honestly, I'm taking a stab at it because I've never really looked at their salaries. But indie artists generally, you know, depends on the scenario. If they're doing it for themselves as, you know, independent, what they call works for hire, where, say, you, the client, comes to me and says, even though you're doing your own podcast and you're covering all the bases yourself, engineering and everything else, if you wanted me to do it, and let's just say, hypothetically, I had a, a place, um, a separate office that was set up for, and you came to the actual physical office to lay down the thing. Um, I could probably pull in anywhere from, and that's up to the person, any 50 up to maybe even $100 an hour to record the show. It depends on the person's experience, expertise, but you never want to price yourself out of the market, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so for people, my suggestion is if you're starting out in this and you want to get an idea, look up different audio engineers that say, for example, do podcast recording or do a vocalist recording, what have you, and just see what their general rates are if this is something you're interested in doing yourself. So, you know, it varies. Just, can you know, can you know. anyone learn to be a professional audio engineer? I think so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you um, go ahead? If you're computer savvy and, you know, don't have a problem putting your nose in a technical book on occasion, yeah, I think anybody could learn it. So you do you have to be somewhat computer savvy, though. You don't have to be. And can anyone learn to be computer savvy? 
Um, I think so. But then again, I think I might be the eternal optimist. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there are some people who just don't get computers. They just don't get them. You know, um, some people aren't tech savvy. That just happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I like to think that just about anybody could learn to do it with enough time. It's like with anything. If you've never been a welder and for some reason it piques your fancy to do so, you can go to a trade school and learn how to be a welder. Mm -hmm. Get your license and all of that. Hang up your own shingle if you want or work for a uh, construction company, whatever, and get it done. And, you know, if that can happen, then, of course, yeah, you can learn how to be an audio engineer if that's what you really want to do. Just as long as you put in the time, the effort, the energy, uh, the dedication to learning and be willing to take the constructive criticism if you mess it up and how you can correct it and there you have it yeah i think you can hmm. can you tell us about your your own home studio setup the kind of gear that you have and and its function yeah um like i said the mic it starts and it's what we call it. matter of fact this was one of the things that the podcast that I was listening to, that host would have his guests describe what he's called the audio chain. My audio chain insists starts with the microphone, and that's what he had you do. Start with your microphone and how it's routed and everything. Um, hold on. <clears throat> I am so sorry, folks, that that, that I that just happened. I'm sorry. I'll um, edit that out. Don't worry. Yeah, Mark, you you just go on ahead, or you can leave it in there because I'll make a joke out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so starting with the microphone, the Rode NT1A, as I said, that runs into a Behringer UMC 404 HD audio interface, the Euphoria series. It's a four-channel uh, audio interface with USB so that that runs via usb into my macbook um and the good thing about interfaces whether you're using like you showed me you've got the scarlet focus right 2i2 uh, i'm using the 404 hd um there are larger interfaces what interface does if you are recording at home and you have a computer like you and I, Mark, are Apple heads. So our main go-to is Logic. Also, GarageBand. My, my main go-to is Apple technical support. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I'm an Apple guy. I, I have not found any technical support that's that that that's better than theirs. I mean, PC yeah. just doesn't offer anything like that. Mm -hmm. They will help you out. They do do a good job. But you, um, the interface... And it talks to the computer, and the interface lets the computer know how many things are going in, how many inputs. Mine is four channels, so it tells my computer, when I open up Logic, you got four things going in, four inputs. All right. So that way I could keep everybody separate. Mic, interface, when I record a podcast 
Um, and yeah, you will have tech issues and we had some earlier today, but we have resolved them. And by the way, on that side note, if you get tech issues, work them out beforehand so that you don't have them before your interview time. Um, do you do a tech check before each of your podcast interviews or once you know, it's working for one interview and you haven't really changed anything, do you not check it again? No, I do a check, tech check, but once I set it and forget it, maybe about 15, 30 minutes before the show, I will do some sort of a test and I can get into how I actually test my own system in a minute without another person. Um, but I also have keyboards, so I've got two keyboards set up. Like I said, I've got a couple of Korgs here. Um, so they are going into, uh, the third and fourth channel of my interface and my interface has MIDI. So I am also able to get that fifth instrument in my drum machine into there. So I've actually turned my four channel interface into a five by using the MIDI musical instrument, digital interface. And what that allows me to do the drum machine is not the sound that is heard when I'm performing or recording, well, just recording um, music using Logic. Logic has a host of drum sounds, drum patterns, what they call loops and all of that. Are these so extra ones know. that you get at, or the ones that come with Logic? Oh, these are the ones that come with Logic. Mm hmm so after you've set up a recording session in logic you go to the uh library click on drums and it'll give you a list of the various drum types and i've got a couple of go-to's that i have uh used and so i use the drum machine to trigger or to play that particular drum sound that's in logic. So I pre-program the drum machine. I actually do what they call tap right. Um, Cause I'll hear it. I'm old school. I got to hear it. So I'll do the drum beat in my head. Um, like say if it's funk, boom, 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 bass drum, boom. I'll tap to do. So I'll tap it, tap to tap tap to tap then the snare goes tap tap and i'll tap every instrument in the cymbals and all i do not have audio coming out of the drum machine again these are just digital signals the drum machine after i've done my rhythm is that what you start with when you make your compositions when you're when you're writing too do you start with the drums Hello? The computer uh, audio file that I've chosen, the drum sound, when to hit the snare, when to hit the bass, when to hit this symbol, when to hit that symbol, open the symbol, close the symbol, that kind of thing. Hmm. And that's how you make your compositions from, you go from, you, you begin with the drums? Yeah, when I'm doing my arranging, I I'm, I start from the bottom and work my way up. So what do you go? Drums, bass, uh, mm -hmm. keyboards? Yeah, 
I, I do. Um, what happens is it's the same for composing a song from scratch to already taking an arrangement. It's a pretty similar procedure for me. Mm -hmm. I'll start with like an original composition um, with the bass, with the uh, drum set, whether it be a jazz song or an R&B gospel. If it's original work, what kind of beat do I want? So I will program my beat in. Then I'll look the baseline. Okay, I've already figured out, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I've already figured out what my chord changes are going to be mm -hmm. and what the progression of the song is going to be. Um, so, like, after I've got all that figured out, I kind of already know what my baseline is going to be. So the song is already kind of written in my head as well as I've handwritten a scratch lead sheet, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then it comes down time to the recording. And a lot of ideas come to me as I'm recording. If there's one set, for example, baseline, I'll record the drums. Then I'll come back and record the bass because I know how many measures the song is going to be. I've had to plan that out ahead of time. That's mm -hmm. just how I do it. That means I know where it goes from the verse, the A section, to the chorus, the B section. And if there's a bridge, C, and what the order is. So then I'll play my bass. Boom, 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 boom. Listen to those two. I'm not mixing at this point, but I will adjust my volumes so that I'm not too heavy on one or the other instrument. Then I'll go back and I'll lay down the foundation chords, which are the keyboards. I don't play guitar. I will one day, but, you know, after I get the keyboard uh, chords recorded, then I can go and add horns, strings on top of that. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much a similar procedure for arranging. Like, take... All blues, Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. So you've got that. As your basic drum rhythm. We've all know what basic swing sounds like. So forgive my bad symbol <laughs> impersonation. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you've got the band coming in. And it does its thing on and on. And we if you've heard the song before, the lead Sorry. I know I went out of key. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm sure half our audience didn't know. I I hope not. But um when I did that arrangement, my band did that. Um so everybody already knew what they wanted. We contributed to the overall arrangement. But you know, you laid all that stuff down and you uh, you layer it. You start from the bottom and you work your way up. Mm -hmm. Is essentially the um, 
is essentially the basic thing that you do. So keep when you're arranging, you want to keep the I want to keep the initial feel of the song still intact so that the audience recognizes that this is still that song. I never want to try and change it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a couple of songs out there to me that you just don't change. Mm -hmm. I've heard different renditions of some songs and I'm like, that's just one you don't do. One of those is take five Brubeck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't change it. Hmm. Yeah. Brubeck performed it and I know it's written by somebody else, but Take five is meant to be done. Wasn't it written by his uh, sax player? Yes, it was. I'm forgetting his name. Paul Desmond, is it? Um, I'd have to look that up for you. I had it committed to memory, and I'm a bad musician, but I... Yeah, I'm not positive. I think it's Paul Desmond, but I'm pretty sure it was his uh, sax player that did that. Yeah, that much I'm pretty sure of that it was the sax player that came up with the song. But I've heard different versions of Take Five. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just something that you just cover the song. What the, do you think are the, uh, in, in your, what are your favorite arrangements, like your, your top three favorite arrangements of popular songs that everyone would know? That someone just did a really great arrangement of it. There's a male vocalist called Kim, K-E-M, and he remade a song called I Get Lifted. I really like that rendition of it. Um, When Shaka Khan did I Feel For You. Mm -hmm. Do you know who arranged that song? I Feel For You? Yeah. Does Chaka, I don't know if she writes and arranges or if she just... uh, Oh, no, that was all Prince. Oh, Prince? Okay. Well, it's... I Feel For You is a Prince song. He originally did it. Uh-huh. I forget on which album he did it. But, but he did a different kind of version, didn't he? Uh, it was similar. His was more basic. When he redid it for Shaka. Uh-huh. Uh, she probably had the bigger hit with it, huh? Because I, I, I didn't even know that. I do remember now that you've mentioned it, but she stands out in my mind of her doing that song more than him. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think it was the times. It could be anything. But when he did that arrangement, he had more special effects going on in her version than in his original. Mm-hmm. Um, in his original, it was still kind of acoustic sounding, mm-hmm. you know, with just drums, guitar, bass, keyboards. Mm-hmm. If you look at his band back in the day for whether it was the Revolution or... Uh, the new power generation or his original band, it was still the same basic makeup Prince on guitar. He might've either had Des Dickerson and or Andre Simone on guitar there with him. Uh, Brown Mark has been a fixture as his bass player. Mm-hmm. Matt Fink is one of the keyboard players. Lisa, uh, was it Lisa Coleman? Mm-hmm. I think is her last name mm-hmm. was his other keyboard player. And he added Wendy as a guitar player years later. Uh, for the revolution and I feel for you his version I forget which album it's on but compare it to what he did for Shaka Khan where she's doing the lead and it's in the same key 
very same similar feel probably even the same tempo but Shaka's version just has more stuff in the recording than his did mm -hmm. and it's also when it was done verse when the two were done mm -hmm. and he was capturing the sound of those of the 90s back then mm -hmm. you know and plus he was able in where prince did the guitar solo in i feel for you he had stevie do a harmonica solo stevie wonder hmm. so you know that's a favorite one of mine um, and it doesn't certainly doesn't hurt to have Chaka Khan singing the vocals either. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. An amazing vocalist. But, you know, there are numerous ones um, out there that there's a lot of arrangements. So many come to mind. What underrated um, tools do you find are indispensable for what you do? A brain. A brain, B-R-A-I-N? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's... Brain, the human brain. But as far as, I guess, gear goes, I've never really... I don't think any of them are underrated. You know, mm -hmm. as the technology advances over the years, you know... It's just a lot easier for the musician or the artist, content creator, to do everything at the home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, when you were coming up, and I'll, I'll visualize, when you were doing Julia, you would walk on the set, and this was what, 68? Uh, 68, 69, 70. I think it ended in 71, three okay. years. So 69, I guess it started. Yeah. Okay. So let's just say the seventies, right? Yeah. Right. In the early seventies, right? You're a kid. You walk in, you see all these big lights and this big mixing board and all the other stuff. And they're going to get you, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On film, saying your lines, what have you. They've got the big boom mics hanging down to capture the sound. You got guy working the camera. Probably got two people on either side of him. So you've got all these people, all this big equipment and everything else on the set, right? Mm -hmm. Now, go from 1970 and do it now. Take that same camera. It fits in the palm of your hand now. It's no longer required. It's an be, iPhone. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It goes in an iPhone or a small handheld camcorder. Whereas before, what were those things like? Seven feet tall on the casters, on the wheels, easily. Mm -hmm. Easily four feet in length, seven feet in height. Plus you had a chair attached to the darn thing. Mm -hmm. So the tech has gotten better where it's condensed and shrunk. The equipment so underrated oh man i don't think any of it is underrated really i couldn't give you any one um again i just had to throw out the human brain you know the hmm. tech is advanced like i said how do you stay on top of the latest tech stuff. wired magazine <laughs> <laughs> no seriously wired um the various trade papers, 
going down to the music stores, seeing what's out there, word of mouth from friends, you name it. You somebody will call me and say they just got a hold of this new guitar. Mm-hmm. They'll take a picture, send it to me. I'll go look it up online and maybe even listen to a video demo of it or something. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. That's kind of how you do it. I get email drops from Wired Magazine telling me that there's some new gadget that's out there for the phones or whatever. Guitar Center, I get emails telling me that this new gearbox is out or they've got a sale or something and when the time is right or whatever and i just feel like doing some shopping i'll walk around and see what's happening mm -hmm. Hmm. you mentioned there being a, a slightly different approach to when you're uh working as an audio engineer for a live show versus a recording when was the last uh, time that you had to think on your feet to resolve a sound issue today <laughs> <laughs> What would you regard as the most challenging part of sound engineering? Um, hmm. Getting the sound just right and not being too picky to where I have to spend more time than necessary trying to get the sound to be just right. Because as an engineer, I think it's important that you consider what it's going to sound like to the other people in various mediums. How's it going to sound in a pair of earbuds versus a pair of earphones? How's it going to sound on your home system versus the car? Whether it's on a small AI like Alexa or a larger set of home speakers or whatever. And just find that nice happy medium so that no matter what the audience is listening it listening to the show or whatever performance on it's still going to sound good mm -hmm. and how do you know when enough is enough i know when i was fooling around with with this kind of thing another reason why i stopped is like i would be well, if it takes 30 minutes to get your sound just right and you haven't recorded note one it's time to find something and just get moving <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's it if it takes too long to get the sound happening then just find something and find a workaround and make it work go back I, and fix it later i, I know it. i'd be messing around this stuff and next thing i know the sun would be coming up there you go then it it's too long it's time to call it a day i call it a night whatever and just eventually you want to get to a point where it takes you no more than 10 or 15 minutes to get set up yeah Huh. What are the steps that you follow to study a problem before making a decision on how to resolve that problem? I start, I start by where it goes in. I always start at the microphone or the audio source. Mm -hmm. If it's a keyboard, does your keyboard work properly? If it's a mic, is your mic okay? Then I follow the line of the cable, take it from there with the cable, and then see if it's something on the mixing board. If it's not the mixing board itself um, and then all the places your sound is being routed to from its source which is either your voice or your instrument all the way into the device you're recording into mm -hmm. hmm. were your parents supportive of you wanting to be uh, wanting to make your living as a musician 
you know, there's that, that old yes saying, and no, yes. And have no, you heard that, that old saying, uh, uh, I love being a musician. It's made me the hundred air that I am today. There you go. There you go. No, I haven't heard that one. I have the t-shirt of musician, someone who loads $5,000 worth of gear into a hundred dollar car <laughs> uh, in a $500 car, a thousand dollar car to drive a hundred miles for a $50 gig. <laughs> you know, I've got that one. Um, do you come from a musical family? Uh, not in that sense. I come from, they sang, everyone sang. My father was real supportive. Well, black folks always sang. Oh yeah, we do. <laughs> they sang in choirs out in Methodist church. Um, all of us did. And, um, everybody had music lessons. I was really the only one who continued on beyond high school with it. Do you have uh, brothers and sisters? Yep, uh, there's six of us. I'm the youngest of six, actually. Huh. Okay, and the only musician, huh? Huh. Um, out of all of us, yeah. Um, I do have a brother-in-law who plays piano um, and keyboards. A uh, nephew that plays drums. I've got another nephew who is a guitarist and a vocalist. He's got some uh, content out there. He's also a youth pastor up in the Bay Area. Um so my nephews and nieces have had musical instrument training. And I think out of the family, my oldest nephew and I really are the only ones that still do anything with music. Mm -hmm. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my father was a teacher for LA Unified for over, almost 40 years. And my mother was a housewife. Hmm. Uh, slightly off the subject, but how'd your parents meet? High school. In uh, okay. Kansas City, Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep, in high school. Huh. I had to think about that because they were almost 40 when I came along in 66. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> hmm. And your wife is a singer, correct? Well, she can carry a tune. She doesn't classify herself as a singer. She... Um, or writes or something. I thought I saw yeah, something that she creates content. She uh, is a script writer and I... things of that nature. So yeah, she's she creates content. She's in the behind the scenes, um, <clears throat> behind the scenes mode of things. Excuse me again, but yeah. And how'd you but, and your wife meet? Also high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it was also high school. Yeah. Um, I saved seats for her on the school bus going. You know, we went during when they had LA Unified had PWT permits for transportation. That's when they were making sure in the late 70s, early 80s, all of us uh, colored folk mm -hmm. <laughs> got to the uh, better schools. So we were in the giant multi dome size school buses getting picked up from our neighborhoods and going out to school and Interesting. I went to Pally High, mm -hmm. Palisades High, and uh, that's where we met. So hmm. there you have it. And you started playing piano at five, correct? Mm-hmm. I learned from one of my sisters, there was a old movie called Exodus and the main song of it was a song called this land is mine um 
This land is mine. God gave this land to me. <laughs> and I learned how to play it. And that just kind of struck an interest. Um, you learned it by ear? They, yeah, they showed it to me on piano. And I just kind of looked at it and played exactly what I saw. Huh. What was it that attracted you to this song at such a, a, a young age? I think it wasn't the song. It was just the fact that I was playing something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, wow, I didn't know you could do this. And then they started giving me piano lessons. I had teachers who kind of kept me on the baby rolls and stuff because I, I'll admit it, I kind of don't like practicing, but you have to. And so I didn't progress like I probably should have. And one of the issues I did have was that being I'm a right-handed person, this is just me, my right hand always took off at light speed and I had to work really hard to get my left hand to catch up to the right. And my brain was ahead of both of them. So it was kind of a frustrating thing for me. But once I finally, over the years, they just merged together and okay, now I can play almost whatever's in front of my face. Um, Do you prefer to learn uh, your songs by ear? I, I know you can read because you went to the Berkeley College of Music. Um, <laughs> do, yeah, do, well, I've been sheet re reading sheet music, you know, pretty early from first lessons on. So, you know, for me, it, it really doesn't matter. But I prefer actually just slightly to have the sheet music in front of me and use the music as a guide, mm -hmm. you know. If I'm in a band situation and I'm not the music director or whatever, it's the same whether I am or not, you know. I'll have the lead sheet in front of me, which will have the chord changes and the melody, mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, but, I mean, if I have the full piano score, that's great, too. Um, but if it's a song I already know, or even if I'm not familiar with it, I just go on the internet if I don't have it in my collection and listen to it as reference and follow along on the paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that gives me reference. And then I take it from there and try and play it, match it up back and forth, as well as keeping in mind what it is the music director, if it's not me, the other person wants to come out of that song. Or they might have done their own arrangement, their own take on the song. Mm -hmm. so the tempo could be different or whatever they want and it's my job as the musician at that point to make sure that i'm giving them what they want for their idea do you remember the moment when you felt that you had really arrived that that you could really play no <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anybody does and i really don't think half the time i've made it well you i know. know i returned back to school music school maybe probably close to 10 years ago now and i'm just starting now to feel like i can actually play <laughs> yeah i mean i can play i know i can and with good enough practice i can play even better but i think and it's just me if you feel that you you have to be careful because if you think that then well when i say play i mean sit at a piano and entertain myself i oh, mean like i can yeah, improvise I can, uh, yeah, I can improv and i can do all of that i mean at one time like, i really needed to learn the music mm -hmm. and if i made a mistake i could not improvise myself around it i'd like have to start the whole tune again and when i went back to school 
a lot of my focus was on jazz improvisation and it just mm-hmm. like opened up a whole another world to me. I mean, you know, I can, my, it opened up my ears where I don't even, you know, I can figure a song, uh, you know, in, unless it's really complicated, I can figure a song out pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And I just had never been <laughs> at that point before, which actually kind of uh, made me lose interest because I was mainly playing ballads and stuff because uh, I, I didn't really know how to play up-tempo songs so i was learning all these ballads like barry manilow and stuff like that and and like i said if i made a mistake <laughs> i was screwed i'd like have to start the whole song again and now i can improvise my way around it you know i'm not really you concerned know, like that that's like I used probably to... a hurdle that people who play an instrument do have i've heard that that's a common hurdle hmm. where you feel like darn it now i gotta go back to the top <laughs> if you're in a live setting you gotta keep going yeah you got it you've got it well that's why i would never play i mean now i would but before i wouldn't i would sing live but not play live just for that reason because you know yeah play like you meant to do it yeah that's all that's that's what you have to do because i mean i've improved and hit the wrong keys and everything and i had to keep going yeah i just played it like i meant it and i tried to remember if i could it's a brief second but what mistake did i make and then you know what? Just to play it off, I'll make the mistake the second time on purpose. Yeah, and people <laughs> make mistakes all the time. It's just that most people don't catch them. So if you keep going, yeah. you know, a lot of people aren't going to catch them. What, yeah, what, what, but if I worried about the mistake, I'll. I actually, what I'm saying is, if I'm playing a, a, I'm imitating a guitar solo on one of my keyboards, and I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to hit that note. Ooh, and it just bothered me. I might repeat the mistake on purpose just so that, that no one knows out there <laughs> exactly. notices, it's like, okay. Uh, and they'll say, Oh, he meant to do that. Right. Exactly. Huh. Uh, what was your first job music related and non music related? Uh, my first paying gig, I was 15 and it was for a Christmas party in Rancho Palos Verdes. Um, my like playing christmas songs then yes exactly mm-hmm. i was playing exactly i was playing christmas carols at 15 for one of those swanky business folks my uh one of my sisters had uh friends who ran a catering company and they were going to go do this party and the host wanted live music and she heard about it told them about me and I went and learned like 30 or 40 Christmas carols, took my little books. They had a nice, very well-tuned baby grand piano in their living room. And I sat and played Christmas carols. Hmm. Made a nice was, little I, chunk I of change. Only, yeah, I was the only little black face in the whole place. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I... I, I'm sure carols. both of us have been in many environments where we're the only black faces in the room as Tell we grew up. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, so you got two Asian American caterers. I forget if they were husband and wife or brother and sister, but, and me, and it was just the three of us. They took care of all the food and the hosting of the party and everything. The party went on and I took care of all the music. And when I took my break, the, host went and played more christmas carols on the stereo and it was a nice house party i think there might have been about 30 or 40 people there it sounds like a good good first gig for a 15 year old yeah and the most memorable um 
I would have to say when I finally was able to have my band Lay Music play, perform, and I had put the band together myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I mean, a lot of them are very memorable for me. Um, there have been bands where it sounded like garbage. Mm-hmm. I remember some of those. But, you know, the ones that stand out, and not trying to my own horn, but, you know, when I did it with the Lay Music and we were able to go out there and, you know, perform pre-COVID, mm-hmm. those really stood out. Uh, so when are you going to get that band going again now that COVID is over? Well, well, I won't say kinda, over, but I'll yeah, just say opening it, up a little bit. Yeah. Um, hopefully soon I will be reaching out to my band members. Um, I'm going to have to get, uh, I'm looking for a bass player. My uh, buddy Mark moved out of state to Florida and he's doing his thing down there. So I'll be reaching out to the members of the band and getting it together sometime soon i don't have a target date yet well right I, now we're getting taxes done <laughs> <laughs> yeah they thanks i i, I, and, I, I and, need to do that I, too and i'm gonna have to get back soon and make sure these are all finished up um and get those happening i know? hear you so that's I, where we are right now trying to take care of uh business and home and taking care of what needs to be taken care of i hear you I know uh, This Land Is Mine is the first song that you learned, but if I'm remembering correctly, it was just four bars. What was the, not just, I mean, that's still an accomplishment for a five-year-old, but (laughs) what was the first complete song that you learned? Um, And did you learn it by reading it or did you learn it by ear? Well, I could be funny and try and remember the very first song I ever learned on my own. Uh, but that would be beginning piano thing, so I'm not going to go there. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd... Fur Elise by Beethoven. Oh, wow. Okay. Somebody, you know, the original, I think, Allenblatt is one of the names it goes by. But if you've never heard of it, when you hear it, you'll know it. Yeah, you, you, definitely. Yeah, that was the first complete song. Yeah, okay. Um, and and you learned that by reading it, or or just learned it by reading ear? it, or no, reading, by okay. reading, okay. by sight reading. All my classical was completely all sight reading. I had no um, audio guide in my lessons. Why do you um, think it's difficult for most classical musicians to transition over into jazz, where it seems like, like Ray Charles, I think had a a classical background as well. It seems like they're more classical uh jazz jazz pianists that can do classical than classical pianists that can switch over to jazz or am i incorrect about that i don't i don't know um no you're not it exists whether that's the main thing or not i don't know but you know taking a guess at it i would say that no matter what genre go back to when you were in school how did you how did you find the well people that i i always had a love of r&b jazz Mm -hmm. and hip-hop i was everybody in our family listened to something different my dad was a jazz purist a jazz head 
he went and listened from everything from the old school to the new school, the contemporary jazz. I know there's some people that don't like hearing smooth jazz, but, you know, I like the term. They said contemporary instrumental music. or Boney James. R- I actually yeah, went to school with him. R&B. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. That wasn't his name then. I don't know if I should publicly say what his real name was. I guess there's a reason he changed it to that. He changed it to Boney James. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. But it works for Um, him. There you go. There you go. Um, So I don't know why they have that problem. I know for me, I never did because I've always had a love and could always feel Mm -hmm. either one. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. I could play a classical song one minute and then play keyboards on a hip-hop jam the next or a ballad or whatever i listen and soak it all in yeah maybe that's the key maybe because you grew up listening to so many different types of music yeah i mean my mother listened to negro spirituals and church anthems um my brother was a 50s and 60s guy um one sister listened to the current r&b of the day um another one didn't really matter what they listened to they just listened to all of it uh and had another sister she was into like streisand Melissa manchester and chicago and all of that and then you get me and i listen to everything i listen to everything from van halen to uh artur rubinstein pianist concert pianist uh Rachmaninoff, chopin i'll listen to all of that or i'll take it into uh I don't know, Kim, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, that's definitely one of my favorite bands out there. Yeah, that's the first concert I ever went to, Earth, Wind & Fire. It was wonderful. Uh, Patti LaBelle, Oscar Peterson, I remember taking my dad to go see him. Mm -hmm. Um, Oscar Peterson, you took your dad to see Oscar Peterson? Yep. Yeah, I'm sure. He's got some big old hands, that Oscar Peterson. And big old hands, exactly. I think he can do, what, maybe 12 notes instead of the octave of eight. Man man could play. He could play. Yeah, and a wonderful singer, too. A lot of people, it's really interesting. Oscar Peterson is more known for his piano playing, but really is a wonderful singer. He's just got such a beautiful tone. And then you have Nat King Cole, that is known more for his singing, but is really a wonderful piano player as well. So it's kind of interesting how people will get known for one thing, even though they can do more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. When did you realize, uh, do you remember the moment that you first realized that you wanted to make your career as a professional musician? Um, I would say, I don't know. Um, you know, as soon as I started seeing, um, I have a vague memory of seeing this in a comic book (laughs) Mm -hmm. an ad, a hand-drawn ad for one of the music schools. It might've even been musicians Institute. I'm not sure, Hmm. but the ad had a little black kid and he had a guitar. He was sitting on his stool and he had other equipment around him and he was plugging it in, um, to the various pieces of equipment. And be seeing this reel to reel on the ground next to him and his guitar, and I was like, you know what, that's something I think I might want to do. Hmm. 
Do you still practice daily? Like I said, I am... I am terrible at practicing. I don't, and I should. And I'm getting back into trying to get my regimen back up because I know my chops are lacking. And for a musician, you shouldn't let everybody know, but I don't have a problem letting you know that, but that doesn't mean I can't get the job done and I'm good at what I do. What, what, when, you, when you do uh, motivate or discipline yourself on some kind of resume, what's your practice routine like? Like what, 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 what is I your practice? I warm up with some scales, always. It's, that's just what I've done, gets to get the fingers warmed up and everything. Um, I don't know. And then I'll go right into what it is I have to do. If I have a gig, I'll get my songs learned. If it's not something, then I'll just play something that I like playing just to make sure I keep the chops up. It could be anything. Uh, jazz standard mm-hmm. uh, song that I've played with a band before. It doesn't matter. Just something to keep my fingers going. I had a piano teacher that I think gave me a good piece of advice. Uh, not that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little better than you. I, I try to touch the keyboards at least a little bit every day. But uh, they said, break up your time in thirds however much time you have to spend spend a third of it uh with technique by by developing your technique a third of it by learning material and a third of it by just improvising like just playing whatever you feel and that seemed like a pretty good kind of game plan um do you do you write daily or do you just write when you're inspired to write or when you have something particular to to write uh, when I'm inspired or when I have something I have to write. If it's something that I have been hired to do, I get on it right away. If the inspiration hits me, I'll sit down and write. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your process like, your writing process? On piano. If it's something for me, I'll start with chord changes. And once I have my changes and the progression of the chords, in, in other words, the order that I want the chords to go, mm-hmm. I'll put a melody on top of it. And then from there, then I'm also making my arrangement because it's also going in my head. Do I have strings with it? Horn? What is the instrumentation? All of that. Mm-hmm. So that by the time I get ready to record it, I've got over half the battle done because most of it's in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I'll lay down the tracks. And with the technology as advanced as it is, I can get my DAW to actually make the sheet music for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which what uh what's your software that you use? Oh, I'm Logic. Okay, so you you compose on Logic. You, you're not a uh, what's that? Oh, I do the comp- finale do the- or or yeah, I I know I probably should or get into Digital Performer or uh, one of the other. Uh, there's so many good DAWs out there, but being that I started learning on Logic, I've re- I've really never left it. And let's just tell people what DAW is, Digital Audio Di- Workstation. Yep, that's it, that's it. And it's the thing that makes the ship go. Yeah. Huh. What are some of the various ways that a musician can make money? Anything from behind the scenes to being out front. Um, you know, you were talking about the support. You know, you definitely find more work behind the scenes than you do in front because it's so much harder to get out there you know 
And with the record label, for example, not being what it used to be, that's another reason why a lot of people are doing it themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, creating their own content and putting it out there on the various social media sites. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have good technical skills, then, you know, you can you can get work behind the scenes, not just in audio. But in video, if you are good with a camera, you know, you Mm -hmm. can go out there and, you know, probably put yourself out there as a cameraman available to shoot whatever. I got a buddy who used to work for uh, Pasadena Media as a cameraman. Uh, Now he's a freelance and he likes to call himself a freelance assassin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, going around uh, shooting whatever, and he works those big, ginormous cameras. And how does he hustle up work for himself? Uh, He he keeps pretty busy. He keeps pretty busy. I mean, is Um, it word of mouth, or like how how does one go about getting the work? Probably more word of mouth than anything. I know for me as a musician, it's a combination of word of mouth, LinkedIn. And just making his presence known, you know, uh, with the company, we've got uh, contact information, info at kim-zentertainment.com if anybody wants to reach out to us. And, um, you know, give me a give me a, an email. We can talk, tell me what your project is, and we can take it from there. So it's a combination of just keeping on your social media, word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the day, you had the trade papers where you took out an ad some folks did, or you watched to see what jobs were available in the wanted section. Mm-hmm. Now it's all computers, so you can look things up, see who needs work, if that's what you want to do see what companies are hiring and just take it from there. Same, same way you used to do it back in the day, except now you can do most of it at home on the computer. Do you belong to the musicians union? Yep. I have been a member for the union for almost a decade now. And what are the pros and cons of being in the union? I know for actors, well, the pros are you have someone looking out for you and making sure that you're not going to get screwed over. Mm-hmm. But then there's some actors that, don't want to join the union just because there's all that non-union work that they feel that they want to uh, partake in. Well, um, I don't know as a musician, maybe I don't, I don't see any cons really. Um, You know, if you're making union scale, then they can't undercut you on the pay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and if they do, then you do have resources available to you that you can go, and call your union rep or whatever and say, hey, I did this gig and whatever, whatever happened, blah, 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 blah. You can get advice. Oh, I, um, I but just. If you're smart I, enough, I, you already know ahead of time what scale is. And that's one of the things the union will provide you. They'll give you that generic list of how much roughly the gig should charge so that you're not undercut. And you tell your person, hey, I'm union. You know, you got to pay me scale. And if they, I mean, they don't have to, if they don't, can't afford whatever, you know, it's like, well, well, I can't afford that. Then I'm not, there's what the gig is. Then it's up to you whether you'll take it or not. But I just look at it as from a standpoint of they're there to help you if you need them. And it's better to have them at the ready than not have them at all. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I just saw your text. So can we do a part two? Because there's just a few more questions I want to ask, but I see your text. So I, I, I don't want okay. you to be in the doghouse with your wife. <laughs> that's more important than this. That's for sure. Oh, man. But we're, yeah, we're not in a rush, you know. I, I, yeah. I You know. But, yeah, uh, we're, we're just trying to get those. Uh, yeah, no worries. Get some business taken care of here. So yeah, I'll just yeah, touch bases and we can and I can edit it to make it all. You know, I'm not worried about that. Uh, no worries. Uh, but no worries. you know, I don't. I don't want you getting in the doghouse with your wife. So, <laughs> all, all right, my brother. Well, I will email you. I mean, I, unless you want to tell me now, when's a good time to touch bases just to see how your schedule is. It shouldn't take more than another hour. Um, basically, I allow for two hours and we got kind of uh, started late. Um, yeah. Um, um, we can do. Um, yeah. Let me just take a look and see where things are yeah. and uh, probably looking at maybe next week. Um, we'll touch bases and see, we'll how, you know, see where you're at. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I know mm-hmm. you, you, you got a wife. I don't have a wife and you've got another person <laughs> that you have to take into consideration for all your you know for everything you do or i don't for so. every for everything i do for everything i do yeah yeah we'll do that mark uh it is always a pleasure talking with you about any and everything and we're gonna have to get those tech issues sorted out for the both of us so well it's i mean from what i'm seeing it sounds good on from what i'm hearing and seeing um so you know i i yeah will, Try yeah. to leave everything where it is uh, by the next time I talk to you, so we don't have that issue, and we can just kind of shoot through it. You got, but it. I'll pick it up. It. I, I kind of marked off where we left off, so I, I'm going to pick it up uh, there. All right, all Sounds right, brother. Good, Sounds good, my man. Thank I'll you. You, to you. I'll give you a buzz tomorrow. Or leave your message. Sounds right. good. You have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too, sir. All right. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Uh huh. Bye bye.